0: Thanks for coming back for another episode of Pelham Place. I'm Jay Pelham, and we are still in quarantine. For those of you here for the first time, please be sure to subscribe on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Pelham Place should now be available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or by visiting pelhamplace.com. Also, you can interact with me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook by searching for Pelham Place Show, or you can email me directly at pelhamplaceshow at gmail.com. As the new season of America's Got Talent nears, I chat with good friend and season 10 finalist Benton Blunt. Of course, we talk about quarantine life and the impact it's having on concerts and touring as a professional musician. But then we switch gears and talk about Benton's new record, the importance or unimportance of an album title, and what it was like to record with some legendary studio musicians. Finally, we get into the America's Got Talent season 10 experience, what it was like from a singer's perspective, the process of choosing songs, becoming friends with some of the other contestants, and we run down each of the songs that Benton performed throughout the season. Towards the end of the episode, Benton gives us a little story about his duet performance for that finale show. Also, you can find Benton through his website at bentonblunt.com, that's b l o u n t.com, where you can find upcoming tour dates plus links to all of his social platforms. Thanks for tuning in. Sit back, stay safe, and enjoy this conversation with Benton Blunt. always been a stay-at-home dad and a full-time musician um, now that we're in this this coronavirus situation uh, I'm assuming you're still that that same stay-at-home dad role uh, if not even more so but uh, how is how are things affecting you as a musician and not being able to play gigs right now
1: um I mean it's it's not been as hard as I thought it would be because I'm I get stir crazy pretty easy. So if I'm home for three or four days, typically if I'm out on the road, I get cabin fever already just from being home for three or four days. So I thought it was going to be terrible, but I really got settled in and, you know, between the social media interaction through live videos and, and, uh, just taking on new roles, being a stay at home dad and the teacher because our kids are at home, it's kind of filled with any of those voids where I would have been bored otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> so, I know for me, I've been home now for,
0: gosh, uh, just over four weeks now. Uh, actually, I guess we're probably going on six weeks. And um, I mean, I know for me, it's really just been a uh, a task to stay occupied. Um, I see a lot of people who are either doing one extreme or the other, either it's, Hey, I'm overeating and I'm drinking every single day. I'm drinking when I wake up or I'm, I'm doing Zumba three
1: times a day. Right? Uh, what is, does what that change for you? Um, you know, what's funny with me and it's, this is a, a, the short part of the story is I don't know for sure, but I feel like there's potential that I caught this thing, this virus they're talking about back in, uh, December, which would be off the timeline of what they're saying. But I was out of commission for almost three weeks. Couldn't, I could barely walk. I could barely breathe. I had a really high fever. It's crazy. And, um, from that point on, I was already, I'd gained a lot of weight from having three children and not getting to work out as much and being on the road all the time. And so I decided me and my wife both did, we were going to get in shape then because of me getting sick. And then, uh, so as a result of that, from then to now I've dropped like 75 pounds. So I was already in that mode of trying to lose weight, to feel better in my back. I was having some back problems. So it's been a little easier for us to stay in the mode of eating healthy. Cause we're still in the middle of seeing a lot of changes and that, you know, we haven't slowed down to where we're like, Oh, let's break out the ice cream. But we've, well, we have once or twice, but <laughs> not, not for the large scale. Um, but it definitely, it's a struggle when you're at home there's nothing going on. You have nothing to do. You don't, your mind's not focused to go work on music for me and uh, your favorite shows on. It's hard not to go grab your favorite food and sit down and eat it while you're doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Same here. Um, You know, I've,
0: I've got a weakness for baking. Um, <laughs> so you give me a bag of flour and some yeast and right. <laughs> man, I, in fact, I, I literally, at least twice a week, I'm I'm baking something, and it's just not good for. You've only got two or three people in the house, and uh, you know when you got two loaves of bread or or two big pizza doughs, <laughs> it's easy to sit down to a whole pizza.
1: Yeah, our our kids are crescent roll fanatics right now. So a couple of days a week, they're nice. crescent rolls with the eggs or cre- they they're getting they're getting uh, risky. They want to try new foods with their crescent rolls. So I'm just they're going to want candy tomorrow we'll see (laughs) so uh
0: how many dates did you have to cancel so far uh with this going on
1: uh i would say probably about two dozen maybe about 24 so far because they they've based on the projections a lot of the venues especially the bigger shows or the thing like a festival where there's a lot of money that's gone into doing it and if they don't cancel at a certain time they lose that um at least 20 um on the low end because they've they've Mm -hmm. we they've canceled out into may because that was a lot of the projections were may june july and now it's as they're inching farther because there's no um there's no clear path to when you can have a full venue full of people to warrant paying a band to come in it's still pushing out. So I'd say into August, even, uh, they've pretty much scrapped everything cause they just don't want to take the chance of coming up short when they get there. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: I was, uh, I was looking at your website today and I, I noticed you still had a few on the schedule for May, June. And you know, I know it's just a matter of time before those venues really have to make the de- the decision on what to do. And, um, you know, it seems like every day that goes by the, the situation gets a little worse and, yeah. um, I think for, uh, you know, a lot of venues, especially the the, the club venues that aren't reserved seating, it's going to be even harder because it's,
1: it, how do you control social distancing in a, in a club? Well, I was going to say, how do you control social distancing with drunk people in general? That's like, <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> or in a, you know, any, any place that has a dance floor. I mean, it's right. just kind of, you know, that, that, kind of ruins the overall vibe for for you as an artist as well.
1: Yeah, and I I've 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 talked to people. I try not to get too deep into it cuz I know people are they're scared about all this. I mean, I I mean everybody's scared cuz nobody really knows exactly what it is cuz it's it's like almost like the weather man. It's like it changes every week. Something else new that you find out about it. But uh I just I don't think that the United States, the way we have what we've turned it into it's almost impossible to do anything normal and social distance. I mean, to, a, to an extent, I mean, you can go out and jog and do that kind of thing, but to go to any venue, any game, it's just, how does that even work on the money side or the fan side? It just doesn't make a lot of sense. It's going to be
0: tough, man. I was uh, I was telling uh, someone yesterday that I heard from a, uh, a talent agent um, that I've worked with in the past and they uh, were basically taking a poll on, you know, how how event producers uh, would feel about certain situations. And one of the scenarios that was presented was to potentially have an artist agree to two shows for the price of one so that the venue
1: could sell half the amount of seats per show. I see. So like a back-to-back night kind of thing? Yep. Back to back,
0: you know, seven o'clock show and a 10 o'clock show or something like that. And then you you sell every other seat in the theater or, you know, in whatever room. But, you know, I I I saw that and then I kind of started thinking about, well, that could actually work for, you know, the movie industry as well and in, in theaters. Um, but then I went back to. But wait a minute there's that whole other industry of, of the smaller venues, the nightclubs, the dance halls and things like that, that don't have seats. And that completely leaves them out of the, the scenario, especially the touring artists. I mean, how many touring artists can commit to doing two shows a night and still stay on the road and do as many shows as they were doing.
1: Yeah. And I've actually thought about that, thinking about some of my friends who were at a higher level that I am that tour nationally and have their, you know, their road managers, their touring company, all the big rigs and all that kind of stuff. And, and it, a lot of the things people are suggesting make sense. The only part that the puzzle piece that I can't figure out is how many of these artists, like what you were saying, would be willing to take the cut to keep doing it, but have to perform longer. Cause that's all, you know, that's all hot button issues with performers anyway. Most of them, once they get to a certain level, they don't want to play longer than an hour and a half anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It'll, it'll be interesting.
0: Uh, you know, I know there's a lot to work out before they ever get to that point, but, uh, it's, it's definitely a, an interesting topic to follow. And, uh, I'm sure we'll hear more over the coming, coming weeks. You know, I was, uh, I saw a report that, uh, AMC uh, movies is really at risk at this point of not even reopening when this is all over with.
1: Um, yeah. i had seen you know, that too. And that's, that's crazy. It's crazy to think about, you, it's like what they talk about on TV. You go from one week where everything's normal and then the next week it's like you're in a different country, but it's really hard to wrap your head around something as like a pastime, like baseball or, or the movies, like something that's just been a part of our life forever. Like somebody saying, exactly. well, that's done for, done for good. You're like, uh, what? <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, hey, let's uh, let's get into something a little bit better.
0: Uh, I know you uh, right before all this began, you released a new album,
1: um, self-titled. Yeah, all mine are self-titled, just because I'm really boring and have a hard time coming up with album titles.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I noticed that, and I was I was thinking about asking you about it since you mentioned it. I'm gonna ask you. Yeah. Um, in, in this time of, of the way music is released, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of artists that, that release, you know, EPs every couple of months or single, you know, a single a week or a single a month. Um, and then some artists that are still doing just albums, one album a year, or whatever.
1: Yeah. Do you really think the album title matters as much these days? No, I honestly don't think that the album itself matters, which is it kills me to even say it because that's one of my favorite parts of what I do but mm-hmm. it's it's more now about in the moment what's hot let's get the five other songs that sound like what's hot let's put that out and you know it, it's not as much about creating a a concept of an album or a a vibe even of an album it's more canned and it's like you're going to walmart to get your uh to get whatever you're going to get versus going to the high end store like that's that's kind of where we went with music because People just want it quick and there's not a lot of money in it because of streaming. So I know the last time you and I saw each other, um,
0: you had just, I think you had just finished recording this in uh, out on the West Coast mm-hmm. and um, I knew you had some, some pretty big names in the studio with you and I didn't remember until I saw it on iTunes, but I mean, Phil X and Kenny Aronoff, what was it
1: like recording with those guys? Um, you know what, to be honest, when I went into the studio, I thought I was going to hate it. Um, and the reason I say that is in that when I was living in Nashville, I did a couple sessions with the big A-list session players and in the most Christian way I can think of possible to say it, I wanted to throw them through a wall. They were just, they they weren't nice. They didn't want to talk to you. They didn't want to create like help be a part of the song. They just had their sheet and they wanted to sit down and play it and go to the next session. So uh, being a Southern country guy thinking about going to the West coast, I was like, Oh, I'm gonna go out here to California and I'm going to hate these guys for sure. And so I go out and I walk into Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters studio, which was insane. And he was there a couple times and uh, started meeting these artists who played with David Bowie, Bon Jovi, Pink Floyd, you name it. I'm just like, these guys can't be nice because they're so, you know, they have such a big name and such a big reputation. The nicest people I've ever met, like the nicest musicians to work with. They wanted to sit and create, like they love the music and they love that. I let them put their own spin on it. Um, and it made that transition of meeting like a Kenny Arnoff who's one, I mean the best drummer, I mean, I mean one of the best drummers. Yep. Um, and to have them be so nice. And so, uh, they didn't treat you like you weren't one of them. And it was, it was really cool to be in that kind of environment. Man, that's really cool because,
0: um, I know for, I mean, Phil X pretty much became a, a permanent member of Bon Jovi over the last four or five years, I guess. Um, and has played on, you know, played guitar on hundreds of albums, same for Kenny, you know, as far as that's concerned. But, um, I mean, just to think that you didn't even go to, to the West Coast for that reason. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go on the West Coast and record with these guys. You <laughs> we were just going to record and just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And, and they were willing to, to come play on the record.
1: Yeah. And it's I mean, a lot of it comes from my producer. Uh, his name's Martin Gigi. And he's a big uh, anytime like when the presidents did the big flood relief thing in Texas, all the different presidents that were still living came together. They called Martin in to to, uh, bring a band from Los Angeles. We met through freak happenstance. And so he just calls these guys. He's like, hey, I got this really cool guy, Benton, he's playing. He's like, yeah, this guy from Pink Floyd's going to come in and play saxophone. I'm like, what? How can we afford that? Oh, he's not even charging us. I was like, that's insane. Wow. Is that uh, Scott Page? Yeah, Scotty Page, and dear Lord, that guy—I mean, sweetheart of a guy too—but he started playing that saxophone, and just like everybody in the room, Dave Grohl is in the other room, and he stops and turns around. He's like, "Holy!" You know, in typical Dave Grohl fashion, but he he is really good.
0: That's amazing, man. That's amazing. I mean, just to be surrounded with with that kind of talent in in
1: the studio is just got to be a great feeling. It is, and with even with Phil X when he came in, it was. It, it was almost an accident. He came by the studio because he was recording some other stuff there and Martine was talking to him. He's like, yeah, I could play on some stuff. So they literally right then went to the back, got an amp, gave him a Les Paul. He listened to the song one time and that's what you hear on the record. That's how good this guy is. It was just, I was wow. just, like, that's how you do it here? Like that that's talent. <laughs> it's really good.
0: And in addition to, so the the, the album's got, 10 tracks and looks like two of the tracks are covers. Mm -hmm. And and I think both songs that you performed on America's Got Talent
1: uh, when you were on in season 10, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, um, well, we wanted to, uh, we started recording the record a while ago. This is a, the record took a while to get out because of just trying to figure out how we wanted to do it, who was going to put it out, that kind of thing. Um, But we wanted to make sure to capture those, moments from the show because those represented me a little more than some of the other songs we did. And I know a lot of the fans that I made on the show, they'd show up to a concert and see a whole different show based on what they saw on the TV show. So we wanted to kind of give them a little bit of both so they would figure out what kind of artist I actually was versus the artist they portrayed me as on TV.
0: Well, those arrangements are on the album are... are amazing um it's funny because there's something happening in Jolene where there's like a a double snare uh hit kind of happening and and it's when I was listening to it I'm it caught me off guard at first and I thought that there was something wrong with my my audio on my computer I'm like is that play is it playing twice is there some sort of double up going on and then as it started going on and you can just tell it's part of the arrangement
1: Jolene Crazy thing about this for anybody that listen that records music, most people record to a click track. That's how you keep up with everything. Well, these guys decided to do it without one. So the whole record, there's no click at any point in time, but it feels like there is. But that gives us those moments like in Jolene where it does kind of sludge a little bit, but it's supposed to. Mm. We kind of did that on purpose. Um, but but yeah, if you put it in a normal studio, it wouldn't have synced up because we we kind of all felt it together because we played it live. That's really cool. Uh,
0: so, let's talk about America's Got Talent since we're we're already there a little bit. Um, sure. So for, for for those listening that don't know, you were on America's Got Talent season ten, uh, a finalist. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were pretty much on until uh, was it the was it the finale show or?
1: Yeah, I was on it. And by the way, there's a gigantic storm happening here right now. So if my audio cuts in or out, it's, I'm blaming it on that. But um, <laughs> yeah, it, we, we started that show in November of 2014 as far as the auditions and the process of beginning it, but not, the, not what people saw on television. And then there was about a three or four month lag period where we just didn't know we were in limbo. And then the show started and from that point it was just nonstop either Los, It was either Los Angeles or it was New York, Long Island, radio city music Hall, and, and, uh, before I knew it, I started doing the one, the one thing thinking I wouldn't even be on the show. And then I ended up in the finals and some of the people that got kicked off before me that sang to me personally, sang circles around me. So I'm standing there on stage with all these talented people in the finals and literally looking at my wife thinking, how in the world am I here like right now? <laughs> um, so at what
0: point I remember, uh, I guess it was the first semifinal where you were, you were in the bottom mm-hmm. and then you, you really had to depend on the social media uh, platform
1: to, to, to save you. And I, what did they call it? The Duncan save at, at that point? Yeah, the reason I've never drank Dunkin Donut coffee since then. Just so <laughs> such a scary thing to be in the bottom three of that. <laughs> yeah, that was that was really cool. Of
0: course, we followed it uh throughout the entire season. And, you know, I think even from a fan perspective, uh, to have somebody that you know in that bottom three and just, you know, now you have to wait till the next night for that Dunkin' Save vote. Um it I can't imagine what was going through your mind and how you were feeling through
1: all that. It it was it. I tell you the craziest part about that show and those kind of moments is you spend so much time with each other because it is mm-hmm. a reality show. Even though they say it's a singing competition, like you're you're with them from breakfast till whenever at night they let you go. So you you develop these relationships when you're off, like me and the people in the bottom three. It was uh, Samantha Johnson. And then the Craig Lewis band, two amazing, and we were all friends. Like that was my group of people we hung out with. We would go eat lunch and dinner together. Like go downtown to in Times Square and get wings. Like that was, it was our crew, and we're all in the bottom three together. So we're looking at each other like this weird feeling of, like we're friends, but like one of us is getting ready to go home. This is just weird. This wow. not you know. So it was it it was overall a great experience from many different perspectives more than just the music, I would say. Cause the music part for me was a little tough because I had to sing through this, that tiny little, not even a good in-ear monitor system. It was like a cheap one that you'd get like a skull candy one or something. <laughs> and I know I'm going live in front of milk, 12 million people and I can't even hear the mix because they'd had the audio too low on a couple of the nights. So I hear this. There's a there's an English guy, an English accent. He counts it off, so you can hear it's one, two, three, four, and then you're off. So I could barely hear the one, two, three, four. So I literally just close my eyes and like, please God, just let me be in key and in time. Because if I'm not, I'm done for. Wow. Yeah. And so, uh,
0: did you did you get to select your songs, or did you have to choose from a group of songs that were already sort of
1: selected for the show um that's what they the good thing about this show is in the contracts and all you can talk about anything as opposed mm-hmm. to some of the other shows where they put pretty much put a gag order on you but you can't tell any of the secrets I man I'm not you can't tell secrets but they they give you lists of songs to let you pick your favorites from but even when they do that, if there's a song that they've kind of talked to the producers about that would be good for you, they still kind of, in their own nice way, nudge you in that direction. Sure. Uh, Speaking of direction, which is the only reason I would ever do a One Direction song, because they <laughs> in that direction. So, uh, let's let's do the rundown. So, uh,
0: I think I've got this in the right order, too, from the beginning of the season up until the finale. Uh, so, you started out, you did Dobie Gray's Drift Away. Mm-hmm. Oh, Dolly Parton's Jolene.
1: Jolene, mm-hmm. Jolene, Jolene, Jolene. Yeah. Yeah. I'm begging you just let me be your Which is also
0: now on your, your latest album. Right. Uh, A Great Big World, Say Something, I'm Giving Up On You.
1: Guys. Say something.
0: Which again is also on the new album right and a, and a great uh, a great arrangement there as well uh Rachel Platten's fight song
1: mm-hmm. and
0: then One Direction's story of my life yes
1: story of my life take
0: And then, on the finale,
1: performed the duet with Rachel Platten, Fight Song. Yeah, and that was funny. I never get to tell this story, so I'll tell you real quick. Because um, I always forget, not because I can't tell it. But um, originally, it was going to be Rascal Flats, And I believe the song we were going to do together is Life is a Highway. That was what the, the original thing was going to be. Mm-hmm. And then it changed. And they suggested the Rachel Platten things, but in my head, I was thinking we already did the song. So isn't it weird to come back and do the song again, but on the show, you once you get into the show and you get that far into it and you get to know the producers, you realize it's a lot more like big brother and you're playing this game, which is a singing competition like big brother, which means you have to, you want to make all the producers happy. You want to be the nicest guy in the room. You don't want to cause any problems. So I, I never, gave them I never said no pretty much if 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 they like the One Direction song it's not something that's me it doesn't fit me it's nothing I would ever do live but they asked me to do it and I figured if I could do it then I would show them I can take on a challenge and make it work even if it's something I'm not really into. Huh that's interesting and I know Rachel is uh I guess she's I don't
0: know if she I think she lives in New York now. Um she has a connection to uh some musicians that are he, from here in Baltimore. Um so I know that there's some mutual friends that I have that know her. Um and I saw her once in Nashville and I I, mean, I didn't get to meet her, but she did come across on stage a lot different than what I would have expected. Right. Um I don't know if you've ever seen her live show, but but she did uh um you know, she almost reminded me of a of a female Ben Folds.
1: Yeah, she, Rachel Platten has, she has the uh, the it factor. I guess it, one way I know to describe it, like when you meet somebody who just exudes like that thing, like to where you see them, you know that there's something special about them. You know that they're care like charismatic, Um and she can kind of bob and weave her way through whatever situation she's in. So if it's a Mm -hmm. children's home she's going to, to visit, to play for them, or if it's a opening for Taylor Swift thing and she can put on those roles. And when she came in and did the show with me, she took me under her wing. Like she, she helped me through. We, she choreographed our whole performance. Like we're going to do this and you know, you turn and we'll walk together and at the end I'm going to punch you in the stomach. Like good job, kid. (laughs) Okay, whatever. And that's exactly what she did. So it was cool to work with her because she she took pride in what she was doing and she wanted to help me be the best I could be, too. That's cool. That's cool. Um, how much time did you guys have to rehearse before that final show? We hardly ever had any time to rehearse, especially towards the end when things were really fast because it was the next night and the next night. They mm-hmm. would sometimes give me a song at 6 o'clock in the evening uh, on a Sunday and then I performed it on a Tuesday, but I was filming all day on Monday to get all those little clips before you go on stage. So maybe 10 hours of actual rehearsal time. Let me rephrase that. What about the duet with Rachel? Oh, uh, that we didn't. We, we went in the day wow. of the show. She, can, she flew in or drove in wherever she was coming from uh, with her manager and we met at Radio City Music Hall in a practice room and we ran through the song twice and then I showed up that night, and we performed it. It was that quick. That's amazing. That's really cool. Yeah, a little,
0: little nerve. It was fun. I, I can imagine it. It would be nerve wracking. So let's get all the plugs in. Uh, I know the website is bentonblunt dot mm-hmm. Uh,
1: you're on Facebook, Benton Blunt. Yeah, I tell people pretty much any social media site that I'm signed up for. It's that URL slash Benton Blunt. I made it real simple, so it's easy to find. But if you go to the website, BentonBlunt.com, at the bottom, there's a link to all of them at one time, so you don't have to go figure it out and find it. You can just click on whichever one you want to go to. Perfect, perfect. And you want to talk about the podcast real quick? Sure. Um, I have a a podcast that I do on Monday nights, and it's called Benton Being Blunt. And being a musician, I've always been real uh, outspoken about anything. I just, my mom taught me to say what I feel and if people don't like it, they don't have to listen. And, but being a musician, you kind of have to separate yourself from that. So I do my music. When I go on stage, I don't talk about news. I don't talk about politics. I don't talk about really anything except myself and my music. So this Benton being blunt podcast is just a time for my fans or even people that don't even know I play music to ask me questions and I just tell them what I think. And it's, it's a, almost like a, Testament to free speech. I I invite people that disagree with me. I want it to be a place where you can share your opinion and then you just kind of walk away from it. So it's Benton being blunt. B L U N T is the only difference between the the two. Got it. And, and you're doing some music, you're playing some
0: music for them as well. Um, just kind of giving them a a, a range of
1: topics and then playing for
0: them at the end. Is that how that
1: works? Yeah, I do. Uh, Sometimes I do. And sometimes I, I don't like, I, I'll separate it intentionally so people see what I'm doing. So they know that it's intentional to have those two separate platforms, but I'll, I'll do the podcast and then I'll do like recently I've been doing the coronavirus acoustic concert series because we've been locked in at home. And so I'll do the podcast, but then I'll say, okay, heading over to my music page for about an hour and a half to play some music, come on over and request some songs. And then I'll kind of make the transition that way I can still keep it separate but together yeah well man
0: thanks so much for taking the time to chat I know you're busy I know this uh, this coronavirus situation has got everybody a little uh, out of sorts but I really appreciate you sitting down with me tonight
1: oh no problem at all enjoyed it it's been a great one very cool we'll definitely
0: do it again once all this clears out and uh, I'm sure I'm sure we'll run into each other at some point down the road absolutely as soon as they let me out of the state I'll head up that way (laughs) Sounds good, man. <laughs> All right. Stay stay safe and uh, we'll see you soon.
1: Appreciate it, brother. Thank you.
0: There you have it. Be sure to follow Benton at BentonBlunt.com. That's Benton, B-L-O-U-N-T.com. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And be sure to email me feedback or suggestions to Play show at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening and be safe.